This recording has been produced by Christchurch, Jerusalem. For more information, visit us at cmj-israel.org. Well, good evening, brothers and sisters, to our Christchurch Evening Bible Study on the last words of Moses, where we're looking through the book of Deuteronomy. Currently, we are in chapter 12. This is our third week at it. I'm sure we'll finish this time. It's, um, there's been a lot of information in Moses' last farewell speech as he stands on the plains uh, of what we today called Jordan, plains of Midian, Moab, and, um, and is encouraging, instilling in the people of Israel uh, energy, enthusiasm, passion for the Torah, um, wanting to apply it to their hearts so that he, can, he knows that he will be able to create a just, righteous, and uh, light and life-bringing society as they enter, uh, conquest the land, but then enter into the inheritance that God has set before them. Uh, so this is his opportunity to make a comment uh, on the Torah, and that's what we've been looking at. And, uh, and so tonight we'll, we'll finish off uh, chapter 12. But before we do, we will um, do a time-honored tradition. We will engage in prayer. God is already present, but it's always a good idea to, to let him know he's invited. So, uh, Brother uh, Neville, will be able to pray for us? Okay, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your provision for us in so many ways. And thank you that we can call on you by your spirit to guide us and help us and to lead us. We pray, Lord, particularly for Aaron, that he would know the guiding of your spirit and the things that he speaks about. Father, we thank you for one another. Thank you for how you are able to bring us together and lead us in the ways of truth. Father, we pray that you would do that this evening, that we may learn things from your word that we don't expect. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Great. So, going over the uh, notes from last week, uh, I've written some notes up for verses 8 to 19. Uh, which was largely the bit that we, we, we dealt with. And so, here's a summary from last week. Do not do as we do today. This verse is in context of centralized worship and seems to imply, this is Moses speaking, and it seems to imply that despite having the tabernacle, a system of Cohen and Levite attendance, with detailed Levitical laws governing sacrifices, a visible cloud appearance signifying God's real presence within the Israelites' camp, it seems that each Israelite seems to have worshipped as they pleased. Perhaps giving explanation to the social milieu behind the rebellion of Korah. Real worship is not concerned with what pleases man, but with what pleases God. Modern worship can suffer from being overly self-focused and attention-centered on personal experience. Instead, worship should be God-focused. It appears that the tabernacle had a reduced effect while in the wilderness, and we do not know why this is the case. It could simply be the sheer size of the Israelite population vis-a-vis -vis the tabernacle. 
A million people simply do not have regular access to the tabernacle. So I did the math. One million people visiting at approximately 4,000 people a day uh, gives them approximately 38 minutes contact time once a year. That's not a lot, is it? So it, it does seem that the, 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 the text is, is, is reflecting, don't do what we do today. We do have a tabernacle. We do have a presence, but there's just so darn many of you, we can't all get here at one time. So once Israel has secured the land, God says he will provide rest from their enemies. Now the word rest, noach, does not infer peace. That is the absence of war. Rather, that Israel will experience comfort. Noah, Noah means comfort, in the land of inheritance. Tension may still exist with foreign pagan powers, and an army may still be needed to be maintained. However, Israel will be able to sow, reap, and build in the comfort and blessing of God. God will set up his tabernacle in a chosen spot later identified as Shiloh, and centralized worship will ensure marked with the emotion of joy. Worship does not occur wherever we want, rather where God wants. While it is true we should pray unceasingly, can we worship God in a strip club? The answer is an obvious no. There do exist places where worship of God is inappropriate. Further example in modern Jewish tradition is that the Bible cannot be taken into a toilet. Worship at God's appointed place must be marked with rejoicing. Reflecting this, Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice, Philippians 4. In the ancient world, almost every time an animal was slaughtered or butchered, it was done uh, so as a sacrifice to a god. Why would that be the common practice around the world? From where does that universal source come from? Perhaps the source is the historical memory, albeit distorted through time and transmission, of the sacrifices of Cain and Abel, of Noah and his children in the book of Genesis. Many cultures hold to creation myths, blood stories, giants and snakes. Here I'm thinking of the Norse uh, uh, mythology of the Midgard serpent and I'm thinking of the Australian mythology of the rainbow snake the rainbow serpent perhaps they get a lot of those traditions from a distorted memory of the book of Genesis perhaps they also inherit a tradition of animal sacrifice that was originally intended for God contrasted to this is that in Jewish tradition not every animal is considered a sacrifice to God so in the ancient world, every animal sacrificed to God. In the Jewish world, no, no, not every animal is, 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 a, is one for sacrifice. Animals consumed as part of the regular diet could be butchered in any location. The instruction already given in chapter 8, verse 10 of Deuteronomy was that after you've eaten, then bless the Lord. While meat had become an accepted part of the human diet, blood was forbidden to be consumed. Life is in the blood, and life was created by God, so it must be returned to God. And this was done 
by pouring the blood of the animal onto the ground to be soaked into the earth. This applied to both sacrifices and animals used for consumption. Moses encourages all of the community to worship the Lord, both men and women, slaves and servants, with a special mention to the Levites. Why this concern for Levi? Levites already participated actively in tabernacle worship. From sacred history, we learn that the patriarch Levi had colluded with Simeon to exact vengeance against Shechem for the mistreatment of their sister Dina. For this sin, they had been castigated by Jacob. Apparently, the descendants of Levi had adjusted their behavior, while Simeon had not. In the territorial distribution of the land, the portion allotted to Simeon was the smallest indeed. The difference between the descendants of Levi and Simeon is reflected in this week's parasha. Pinchas of Levi, the grandson of Aharon the high priest, slew Zimri, a prince of Simeon, in zeal for the Lord. His reward, an everlasting priesthood and a covenant of peace. Reaffirmed in the prophet Malachi chapter 2. So when you read Malachi chapter 2, he again says that Levi has an eternal priesthood and a covenant of peace. Okay, so that was uh, last week's discussion, which I thought was quite lively and, uh, and vibrant. And so we'll pick it up at verse 20. Now, I know some of this we did, but we'll start from there. So, Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 20. When the Lord your God has enlarged your territory as he promised you, and you crave meat and say, I would like some meat, then you may eat as much as you like. If the place where the Lord your God chooses to put his name is too far away from you, you may slaughter animals from the herds and flocks, that the Lord has given you, as I've commanded. And in your own towns, you may eat as much of them as you want. Eat them as you would gazelle or deer, both the ceremonially clean and unclean may eat of it. But be sure you don't eat the blood, because the blood is in the life. You must not eat the life with the meat. You must not eat the blood poured on the ground like water. Do not eat it, that it may go well with you and your children after you because you'll be doing what is right in the eyes of the Lord. But take your consecrated things and whatever you have vowed to give and go to the place the Lord will choose. Present your burnt offerings on the altar of the Lord your God, both the meat and the blood, and the blood of the sacrifices must be poured beside the altar of the Lord your God. But you may eat the meat. Be careful to obey all these regulations I am giving you, so that it may go well with you and your children after you, because you will be doing what is good and right in the eyes of the Lord. The Lord your God will cut off before you the nations you are about to invade and dispossess. But when you have driven them out and settled in their land, and after they have been destroyed before you, be careful not to be ensnared by inquiring about their gods, saying, how did these nations serve their gods? We will do the same. You must not worship the Lord your God in their way, because in worshipping their gods, they do all kinds of detestable things the Lord hates. 
They even burn their sons and daughters in the fire as sacrifices to their gods. See that in all you do. Uh, see that you do all I command. Do not add to it or take away from it. All right. Okay, now some of this is a revisitation from last week, but repetition is good. All right, so the Lord our God, verse 20, is going to enlarge our territory. How large is that going to get, do you think? What do you think, guys? When the children of Israel first came into the land of Canaan, how much of it was portioned out to them? Does anyone remember the map? Wasn't from the, the great river of Egypt or all the way to the Euphrates? Right. That's what he says. That's um, mentioned actually twice now so far in Deuteronomy. He gives this rather fantastic um, uh uh, scope of territory that encompasses huge amounts of nations of which with the current population of Israel there is absolutely no way that they could populate in any meaningful sense um, large sections of it would be essentially empty um, and, 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 and got, uh, Moses has said in a very cryptic way wherever your feet tread you know that's the, that's the land that I'm going to give you okay well, what does that mean? Does that mean when we were carted away to Babylon that we trod on the ground and therefore we can keep it? Um, does it, you know, that mean that, uh, you know, if Paul got all the way to Spain, Spain now suddenly belongs to Israel? Um, it's, a, it's a rather cryptic uh, sentence. Erdogan obviously thinks he's got that now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what do you I think? think the observation is that the... Um, the land that they take goes as far south as what is usually referred to as the Brook of Egypt. Yep. And to the north to about Mount Hermon or the Litani River, but not much more than that. Not much more than that. No, that's right. But when the children of Israel first came into the land, how much territory did they actually settle? Like, does anyone remember the map? Of just, just to the east of Jordan. Say it again, David. Just, just to the east of Jordan, they hadn't quite got there yet. Yeah, that's right. It wasn't, it wasn't very much. When you looked at um, where Judah ended, it wasn't that much far south of um, Beersheba. It might have got to the Rimon Crater, but it certainly didn't get down to Elat. And you have a look at that piece of territory, and you look at it and you go, okay, this is a rather small little portion of territory. Um, how come that was? We're not 100% sure, but it does seem that the way God works is he takes things that are small and, and he germinates them. He grows them. He enlarges them slowly. He doesn't give it to you all at once. And you can see that reflected in the parables of the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. Exactly. Let's start small and let's work out and grow big. And it's, a, it's reflected again here in this verse. When the Lord your God has enlarged your territory, so it's growing. It itself is not something. You don't just get everything when you first show up and, uh, and, and now you've got nothing else to do. 
you've got to work for it. You've got to capture one town and then get your army together and capture the next one. You're going to have to plant a field on this side of the mountain and next year plant it on the next one as well, the other side. There's a, there's a, there's a progression here. And so uh, uh, Moses is hinting at this already, that your territory will be enlarged. And when it, as it grows, you're going to, you're going to start wanting uh, to settle down and, and, uh, and, and eat. Um, you know, and you're allowed to eat meat. Where are they getting all this meat from? Well, they've always had it. They've had meat ever since they actually left Egypt. When you read sections of the Torah in uh, Exodus and in, and in Numbers, you realize that every day they went out and they gathered manna, bread from heaven, but in the evening they ate meat. Quail, that's right. And, uh, and so they had, they had a mixed diet. They didn't just exist on manna, on the bread of heaven. They also had meat. And so here, here now, the, the, the manna will stop, but the waters of, of heaven will continue, and uh, they will continue to want to eat meat, um, which, is, which ever since the time of Noah has become an acceptable part of the human diet. Now, vis-a-vis um, this, this you know, um, not, not wanting to insult any vegetarians uh, or, or people who say that we need to return to Eden, that's fine. But um, it is absolutely 100% permissible to chop down into a really nice steak. Okay? Um, praise be to God. <laughs> but when you would like to eat meat, what does God say? He doesn't say, let's all return to Eden, um, because that's how we're all going to be a light to the nations. You can eat as much of it as you like. Okay, is that good for you? No. Okay, but that's not exactly what's being implied here. Okay? Gluttony is not something that you want to get into. Um, and, uh, but the, the idea is you had to separate this, the idea of animals that were set aside to God and animals that were set aside to yourself. And so there already was this, uh, this idea of, um, separating one thing to another. So there were times when males and females had to separate. There were times when Cohen's and, and the, 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 the regular people had to separate. There were times when Jews had to separate from Gentiles. There is times when we as as people do need to separate from the world any examples in our world today where we would need i know we have to be salt and light to the earth but are there times when we would need to make sure that we we separate ourselves any idea any examples All right. The idea of fasting? Sir? The idea of fasting, perhaps? Uh, I got distortion, so I didn't quite understand. Uh, fasting, he said. Ah, fasting, yes. There'll be a times when we need to separate from the world the pleasures of the flesh, being, um, well, actually, it could be anything, really, couldn't it? Uh, it could be food, it could be uh, conjugal rights with our, with our family. Uh, you know, those kinds of things where uh, we would need to, for a brief moment in time, separate ourselves uh, from, from the world. Um, personal retreats. There are times when, just as humans, 
the only way we can connect to the divine again and actually have an inward look at our soul is simply to withdraw, right? This sort of get away into the desert, get away from all of the, all of the, of the distractions. Um, so there are times. There are other times when um, perhaps a conversation that we're having with secular friends has become inappropriate, has become uh, uh, rather, it could become gossipy, it could become uh, offensive, it actually could become something that you, that you know the Lord God doesn't like. And we could go along with it, we could just hold our tongue, but there are times where you've just got to say, you know what, uh, I'm, time for me to depart this these fair shores and actually to, to make sure that we're not in that presence. In modern society also, perhaps you could argue that holidays act as a sort of retreat. I mean, some, you know, some people like to mix with more people on holiday and some people like to get away into the moors. Yes, yeah. And uh, at Christchurch, we just did a big Myers-Briggs thing. So all the introverts are going, yes, we love holidays where we go away all by ourselves and do nothing. And the extroverts are like, oh, I can't wait to have some time off so I can hang out with lots and lots of people. <laughs> but yes, there is that time where we also have to separate, just as families as well. Aaron, uh, Aaron sorry. Uh, historically speaking, the monastic society, the monasteries, they yeah. had to fall to separate aside to protect the church, if I'm correct. They did. Yep. They, 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 the, the world was going bad. There didn't seem to be a way for them to correct it. So to protect the light, I know it sounds weird, they hid it. <laughs> but uh, but the, the, the monastery has also ended up um, becoming, becoming good. You know, they, um, I, I was reading an article the other day um, in the medieval period when farmers needed to clear a forest, because the forest was considered an evil place, right? Think of, think of all your, um, your, uh, your, your fables. Little Red Riding Hood goes through the forest and encounters a wolf. Hansel and Gretel go into the forest and get captured by a witch. Right? The, 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 the forest is where the bandits live, you know, the, the, the brigands. Um, um, sure. it, yes, it wasn't a nice place. And so um, uh, one of the, the if, if farmers needed to farm some land, they might need to clear a forest. And so monasteries, monks, were called in to chop down forests and they felt that they were fighting back. With the okay? They felt that in, in, in what they were doing, they were clearing the forest, chasing the devil away so that the villagers could grow food and, and, and live, um, which is a very interesting, interesting thought. So while they at one stage also hid the light, they also did participate. All right. So do you think part of it was in response to the Gnostic movement and that they're perceiving that any earthly pleasures, physical pleasures are evil. So therefore, if you don't get married and you're fasting and you're staying away from people, you're more spiritual yeah, and also you're, you're more Greek, which is more individualistic. You're moving away from um, the Hebraic yeah. value on, on community. Yes, because in the Hebrew community, while they did, they did value separation to a degree, you were never allowed to stay separate. You had to return. 
right? So, so even within um, even within the within the Jewish tradition, where there were times where you took vows, Nazarite vows, abstinations for certain things, you had to eventually return to your family. You had to eventually replace the community. Yep, there was definitely that uh, in it as well. Okay, so verse twenty-one. So we can eat whatever we want, but if uh, the place where the Lord your God chooses to put his name is too far away from you, you can slaughter animals from the herds and flocks that the Lord has given you, as I have commanded, in your own towns, and eat as much of them as you want. So you don't have to slaughter animals to God in any sort of ceremony except the ones that are his. And, and so uh, all of our, uh, uh, if you just, you can, so, so they, uh, in each community, you would not, you wouldn't, this is not the advocation or creation of a synagogue, but it does mean that uh, the community can have a responsibility for taking care of, in this case, just normal dietary uh, dietary rules um, and if the if the the place that you were where the Lord our God chose us to put his name is too far away what does that also imply okay. what what if uh, in in other books of the Torah what are we meant to do three times a year go up to Jerusalem yeah but what happens if it's too far away you can celebrate as you wish. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's pretty hard. If you live in Rome, if you live in Athens, if you live in Babylon, there is no way you can show up to Jerusalem three times a year. It's just not possible. And, uh, and, and so... Um, and, and in the time of Jesus, we have the understanding that actually, if you were particularly devout, you could manage it once a year. But that was a trek from Galilee, probably five days walk. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And, and it, it um, I mean, while it doesn't say, um, it, it, Jesus's family is quite devout and, and probably attended a fair number of the festivals. Doesn't say all of them, doesn't say only half of them, but, but it, would, it would be fair to say that, that they did their best to get there as many times as they can. Um, we have the impression that they routinely went up to Passover, but they may have been others as well. Yes, absolutely. And um, in the Gospels, Synoptic Gospels, there's only one Passover mentioned that Jesus is in Jerusalem, but in John there's three. Uh, but that doesn't mean that were the only three. It's probably been quite, quite a few times. And also in Bethlehem, by the way, probably visited family there. All right. So, verse 22. Eat uh, them as you would gazelle or deer. Okay, these are animals that you hunt. Uh, both the ceremonially clean and unclean may eat. It's uh, the being pure, ritually pure and ritually impure does not disqualify you from the ability to, to um, engage in normal daily life. In fact, um, for the majority of an Israelite life, you spend most of the time being ritually impure unless you had access to a mikveh, which tended to be found mainly in wealthy people's homes and for people who were quite fastidious about um, ritual be, in, uh, purity, which was like the Essene community in the Dead Sea Scrolls. But for your average Israelite, tending a field, did not have his own personal mikveh, and so 
largely spent most of his life in a ritually impure state. That isn't sin. It just means that he can't do certain functions vis-a-vis holy objects or visiting the temple or engaging in uh, uh, certain religious practices. And that doesn't mean he can't pray. doesn't mean he can't uh, uh, talk about the Torah. doesn't mean he can't learn Torah. doesn't mean he can't do good deeds. It just means, and certainly doesn't mean he can't eat meat, because obviously he can. Um, so it actually, how does it actually impact your life? Well, that depends on what you do. Um, and, and then you get the um, commandment to make sure that we abstain from blood. So be sure you don't eat the blood because the blood is the life and you must not eat the life with the meat. And this law is, uh, stays with the Israelite people. It doesn't matter where they go or how much they, they uh, have or have not uh, followed the Torah, even to the point that it now it goes into um, uh, Gentile Christianity. So one of the things that uh, the Council of Jerusalem instructs um, the, the Gentiles to do is we're not allowed to, to partake of blood. Okay. You must not eat the blood. You pour it onto the ground like water. And, uh, and so in the, in the, for those who have actually been to Christchurch, uh, inside the museum there is a large model of the, the temple. Um, I hope you guys can remember it. It was built by Conrad uh, Schick. And uh, he had the privilege of, while he was making this model in 1872, of being able to go under the Temple Mountain, underneath, and, and record a lot of the rooms. And he did, as part of his model, he did include sections where it seems they put a lot of the blood from the sacrifices. That uh, as they were draining the blood, obviously they had to put it somewhere. So they swept it into these large pits and vats that were held uh, under the Temple Mountain. So um, uh, the, the temple had a well-rehearsed a well practice to make sure that they got out uh, the blood. Only a little bit was ever poured onto the altar per sacrifice. It's not that the entire altar was drenched in, you know, 100,000 sacrifices because then you'd be, high priests would be swimming in the stuff um, and that would make them, you know, pretty much unclean. Um, so, do not eat it. Now, here's something interesting in verse 25. Don't eat it, this is the blood, so that it may go well with you and your children after you. Why? Now, there's only a few times in the Bible where you actually get a command that has a positive benefit, right? Like in the Ten Commandments, uh, honoring your mother and father is the thing that gives you long life, as opposed to you know, killing someone or uh, having jealousy over your, you know, your neighbor's donkey. Um, in this case, blood or abstaining from blood, it will go well with you and your children. It will have an effect upon the next generation. Why? Because you will be doing what is right in the eyes of the Lord. There is something about this, this aspect of the life in the blood, that God himself takes great interest in. Um, and so now that we know that God has his eyes on, on our dietary uh, behavior, let's make sure we don't drink blood. All right.
I'm not quite sure how the Scottish feel now uh, with their uh, black pudding, but um, might need to not have some of that. Linda, is that okay? All right. Okay, so uh, verse 26. But take your consecrated things and whatever you have vowed to give. And uh, that could have been anything. There's, there was a, a long list of uh, things that we could, could have vowed to the Lord, including tithes, which were in plural, Right, uh, it wasn't just a tithe; they were, they were in, in plural. And uh, and go to the place that the Lord will choose again, unnamed. Although we know the name now, and and one would think that perhaps a redactor might have shown up and actually put the name in there, but they never do. Okay? You don't you don't find Jerusalem in uh, the word in the in the first uh, five books. I mean, you see Shalem, but not uh, not Jerusalem. Present your burnt offerings on the altar of the Lord your God, both the meat and the blood, right? The blood belongs to the Lord, so it actually is, a, is an offering. And in terms of a burnt offering, okay, what does a burnt offering, an Allah, uh, imply? What happens to the, uh, to the sacrifice? It's all completely burnt. consumed. Yes, it's all consumed. None of it is kept uh, away from God. And it's interesting, you mentioned it a couple of weeks ago, Isaac is called an Olah, and uh, Noah himself offers Olah. So Gentiles are also included in the activity of offering burnt offerings. So all of the animal is consumed, and the meat and the blood. And the blood of your sacrifice must be poured beside the altar of the Lord your God, but you may eat the meat. Now, this doesn't refer to the Olah. This refers to the other sacrifices, the Zavachim, uh, and that's uh, not a play on words, but it, the word is linked to Mizbeach, the word altar. Now, we in the uh, Christian tradition, or those that, that hail to the Christian tradition, um, what's one of the central pieces of architecture that is in our churches? Okay. Altar. Yep, it's, it's an altar. Now, where do we get this crazy idea from? You know, why is it that when you walk into a church, one of the central pieces that you're supposed to be able to see when you, when you walk in is an altar to the Lord? And that's because ever since the beginning, there has, and it's been Gentiles before it was Jews, remember, half of Genesis is actually Gentiles, they were running around building altars to the Lord and attending them. And, uh, and it's, it always strikes me, uh, being, being a deacon, um, when I'm standing by an altar and we're singing holy, 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 and we're, we're, we're worshipping the Lord, I think, um, oh, my gosh, there are people all over the world attending altars to the Lord uh, right now, standing, worshipping him, just, just reminding him that this altar belongs to God. It's not the Anglican altar. It's not the Lutheran altar. It's not the Catholic altar. These are the Lord's altars and everything that is offered on it. That is prayers. That is worship. That is communion. That is uh, the fellowship of the believers standing around it. All, all becomes part of the delight uh, of God. And it involves eating and drinking. Hence, one of the parts of the service of, uh, of, of, of traditional churches and in non-traditional churches, they do it too, although they do it in different fashion, is the idea of eating and drinking. 
So the blood has to be poured out beside the altar. So there was you know, a special way of being able to do that uh, and that the blood would then drain away um, or dry up because there wasn't a lot of it. Um, and, but you could then eat the meat. So these sacrifices, the other ones, not the olah, you, uh, you ended up getting a bit, a bit uh, yourself. Although there was a rule. What's the rule with um, eating a sacrifice uh, in the temple? Does anyone know? The whole thing had to be eaten, nothing left. That's right. You better eat the whole darn lot. And, um, and so if you had um, a rather large cow, um, I'm not quite sure how you're going to be able to pull that off. And, um, and so what ends up happening is um, you shed it. And so the actual, what I find interesting is that the actual nature of sacrifices also brings in the concept of generosity. God has been generous with us. He's blessed us. He's made our, you know, women fertile, our frock flocks fertile, our, um, our grains fertile, our vineyards are, you know, got grapes out the brass rose. We're all doing really well here. So we bring it to God and we give a portion to him which is burnt up entirely. But there's a large portion which is part of our worship we get to keep. There's no way we can eat and drink all of this. And so just as God has been generous with us, we become generous. We turn around to anybody who's around. We turn around to our friends and neighbors. We turn around to communities that we've journeyed together to Jerusalem to worship, and we eat and drink in fellowship. So we have this the idea of oh, would be a better word than communion. Fellowship. Okay? Um, you eat and drink together, and uh, and so um, what ends up happening in the first and second temple periods is. Um, if you're poor and you have no access to, to, a, to a regular source of food, where's a good place to hang around? <laughs> Let's hang around the temple. You know, uh, some, some generous worshipper is going to come in with a rather large camel and go, you know what, I really can't eat all this. Well, you got any friends? And, um, and, 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 and you actually can see that, you know, Peter and and uh, and Paul are so Peter and John are heading into the temple, and there's people hanging out, and they're begging. You know what? What are they begging for? If I'm bringing a tithe into God of money, can I give it to a beggar? No, I can't do that. But if I'm bringing in food, yeah, I've got something to share. And so there was there's, there's lots of of that that's going on as well. Aaron, just a side note on this. Recently, I visited Shiloh, um, which is an interesting exercise in itself. And the guide pointed out that in terms of the place where you could eat your meal, you know, you come with your sacrifice, it could be anywhere on the, on the hills around, so long as it was within sight of, of the tabernacle. And so the, the, the guide lady who was taking us around took us to her house who happened to overlook, you know, on the hilltop overlooking Shiloh. And when she digs her garden... Uh, she finds that there's loads of broken pottery. I mean, just it's just continually out of the ground. Yeah, this is because they had to. They they could only use the pottery once, and they broke it. And so, all around Shiloh, you know, the, the ground is full of broken shards of pottery. There you go. Yeah, and that reflects the reality 
um, of the of the way people would worship the Lord. Uh, that's fascinating stuff. That's good stuff. If, if anybody ever gets a chance to go to Shiloh, I 100% recommend it. Okay? I think um, you'll have a really good time. All right. So verse 28. Be careful to obey all these regulations I am giving you so that it may go well with you and your children after you because you will be doing what is good and right in the eyes of the Lord. Once again, we're coming to that interesting phrase, what is good and right in the eyes of the Lord. You don't get this very much. So if there's something that is good and right in the eyes of the Lord, you better pay attention to what preceded it. Okay, so verse 28. Does anybody have a different translation than the NIV? Uh, anyone? Okay, Yvonne, what does your verse 28 say? Be careful to obey all these words that I command you, that it may go well with you and with your children after you forever, when you do what is good and right in the sight of the Lord your God. Okay. Okay. I've got a different version, the New King James. It says, observe and obey all these words which I command you. Does anybody else have something very similar? So, yeah, my NIV says... Be careful to obey, which is not really the right way. Like in Hebrew, if you want to say be careful, um, where's Naamah? Naamah, you here? How do you say be careful? You say bezehirut. Okay? But that's not what's written in Hebrew. Okay? The actual Hebrew text in uh, Genesis, uh, so Deuteronomy says, Shamor which means guard, right? Guard, which we then translate as observe, fair enough, but guard, keep, protect, okay? Um, shamor the shma'ata. So guard and hear, right? Hear. The word hear, shma, in Hebrew also means obey. And so a lot of the translations... They know, they know exactly what this means, so they say guard and obey all of the words that uh, these words that the Lord, that God is, is uh, commanding you today. Okay, so if you hear, obey, and guard the words that God is saying, and it's going to go well with you, and this is, this is doing what is right and good in the eyes of the Lord, how important... Is this verse all of a sudden? It's unbelievably important. And so, how do you guard the words of God? So, what do you think, guys? By not adding, by not um, taking away from it. Uh, okay, there adding. you go. That's one way. That's at the end of the chapter. Yeah. Yeah. All right, that's one way. And the, the, the phrase to add or subtract is definitely in this content, okay? And, uh, and, it's, and, I'm, and I'm really glad that we're going to get there, uh, get there today. By right. putting this into practice in the sun. Yeah? So if, if, if God said... Um, something like thou shalt not steal 
how would you guard that? What would be a way of guarding the command, thou shalt not steal? Give me some examples, guys, if you can. And really try and think outside the box. You can steal time. Well, why would the person be stealing? Is there something that they need um, that you can maybe share? By not with making them? Um, excuse for somebody that is involved in such. Okay. Don't make an don't make an excuse for somebody. Um, how about rules and regulations? Sir, say that again. You're going to set up your, your laws, your rules and regulations for your community. Some of them may be extreme, such as you lose your hand if you steal a loaf of bread. Ah. <laughs> so are, those, are those commands in the Bible? No, but that would be ways of guarding God's commands. Right. Well done. Right. That's, that sounds more like the fences that are built around the Torah. Exactly. Uh, exactly. You are yeah. correct. Building a fence around the Torah. How right. do you guard and observe and hear the words of God? You guard them by making sure you, you protect them and, and that you create this idea of fences around the Torah. Now, you, don't have you create what's called the oral law. Now, of course, the, 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 the often hyper... Uh, response is oral law, that's not in the Bible, it's not true, blah, blah, blah. Okay, all right. However, even in our own secular world, we do have an oral law. For example, let's just say it's midnight and your daughter would like to go outside. I don't know why, but she does. And she's decided to wear a small black mini dress with a rather low-hung T-shirt. And she's decided to go to the red light district of Amsterdam. Now, is there any law that says she can't do that? No. Is it a good thing to do? No. No. So, what is the rule that suddenly uh, Dad is going to say? Come on, Roddy, what's it going to be, mate? I said so. <laughs> yeah, that's a, yeah, that's right. We create an oral law. You can't go out like that. You're not leaving at this time. You know, you have to be home by midnight. Plus, it's five past twelve, so you're not even leaving the house. Okay, we create rules. We create rules to protect. We create rules to guard. We create rules to preserve. The oral law does exactly that. Do they go too far sometimes? Yes. Do the secular world go too far sometimes? Yes. But that's why you have a discussion. And you can change. Oral law changes. Halakha changes. And, uh, and, and so this phrase, guarding, listening, protecting, is in the context because you will be doing what is good and right in the eyes of the Lord. And so it is a good thing to take the words of God to take them seriously and to do our best to try and guard them and protect them. Does it say, and now you're going to earn your place in the world to come? No. And now you're going to get a guaranteed seat in heaven? No. What it is saying is that what you're doing is good. Well, anyone want to do bad? 
No, we all want to do good. And anyone want to do what's bad in the eyes of the Lord? No, that usually ends up not, not, not too well for you. So we now know what is good and right in the eyes of the Lord. To have a look at his teachings, have a look at his instructions, and there are going to be places and times where we don't have all the answers. And, and, the, and, and, and there's no one Bible verse that's going to be able to help you. Uh, we are going to have to create some rules of, of our own, and, uh, and that is good. And you see that in the New Testament as well, where Yeshua turns around to his community and he says, what you bind on earth, I'll bind in heaven. What you permit on earth, I'll permit on okay? That is an incredible responsibility that we have. Let's make sure that when we create a rule for our communities, it is good and that it is right in the eyes of the Lord. Okay. I just say, Aaron, the other thing that we learn from Jesus' teaching, particularly in the Sermon on the Mount, is that when these people who are making rules, when the Spirit evaporates from them, in other words, they, when they focus on the rules rather than the heart of what it's about, the focus is being on the right side of the rule, not the heart of the law. And what Jesus does is he brings the focus on the purpose of it. The, you know, the, the idea of the law is not to be just the tiny bit the right side of the boundary it's actually please the heart of god yep. and they knew that they had this tradition that when messiah comes he would explain the heart and the purpose of the law he would sad that not everybody noticed perfect so i even like that expression he's even going to tell us that the gaps in the in the in the letters themselves that's how deep messiah is going to go to the heart of the law did I hear somebody else? Did I miss somebody? I would, I would say mercy has to be a, a key part of any laws or regulations. And mercy triumphs judgment. Yeah. Mercy triumphs judgment, yes. Yes, it does. And you see that right from the beginning of the Bible with Cain and Abel. Right through that Abel is murdered, but Cain he gets a mark of protection. God's mercy triumphs over judgment, and uh, which is reflected in James. And you and I want that mercy. I, I, I know we do. All right. Verse 29. The Lord will cut off before you the nations that you're about to invade and dispossess. So the invasion, and, and actually that's what it is, uh, is going to be successful. But when you have driven them out and settled in, and listen, isn't it interesting, settled in their land. Right? That's interesting. You know, Moses once again reminds Israel, you are not the natural inhabitants of this place. Okay? As a vis-a-vis -vis other nations round about who all like to try and say that, you know, they spontaneously generated from out of the rock and they've always been here. Okay. Israel's national sacred memory is to remind them that they are not the original inhabitants. And so you do not have a, a, a holiday that celebrates in the Bible the conquest of the land. Um, and after they have been destroyed before you, be careful not to be ensnared by inquiring about their gods. And so here is the danger. All right. 
um, curiosity kills the cat. How do these nations serve their gods? We will do the same. And so they are the the um, enticement of an unknown tradition or an unknown religious god. Um, it's a snare, right? It's a, um, it's something. It's it's a danger. It, it's a it's a it's an allure. It's it's, it's, it, it entices even the smartest of people. You must not worship the Lord your God in their way, because in worshiping their gods, they do all kinds of detestable things that the Lord hates. They even burn their sons and daughters in the fire as sacrifices to their gods. Okay. So what was one of their gods? Anyone remember? Moloch. Yeah, Moloch. And um, and uh, and he was this he was a, a nasty piece of work. So some somehow I don't know how it happened. We don't have any books written by him. He demanded, or he seemed to, what made him happy, or or subdued his rage, was the uh, offering of children to fire. And you would think, okay, who would do such a thing? Right? Who would, in all of you know, Israelite history, engage in this type of practice? Manasseh. Yes, there. Well done. So uh-huh. one. Kings, as well. Yeah. Um, so someone read one Kings eleven verse seven. I've got it. What's it say, Aaron? Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, and for Molech, the abomination of the Ammonites, on the mountain east of Jerusalem. Oh, my gosh. What did we just read? What did Solomon, the wisest of men, what did he do? Something very foolish. Yes. He built an altar to the god Molech. And what do you think that they did on this altar? And, um, and you go, oh, what, what were you thinking? Well, obviously, he wasn't thinking. And, um, and so um, uh, in, the, in, the, in the rabbinic discussion about, you know, they go through the Bible and they try and work out which ones got into heaven, which one didn't get into heaven. Don't ask me why they did this. They just did, okay? And uh, when they come to a list of who actually doesn't make it, the top of the list is Solomon. Yeah, and that, isn't that sad? And they, and they have a quite a long, deep discussion about it. They go, isn't this incredible? The guy who built the temple, the guy who was allowed, even though, yeah, his dad did all the plans and got all the material for him, but the guy who built it and did the great, fantastic dedication, and the guy who, as a child, had asked the Lord for wisdom to be able to rule his people, and had done you know, some pretty great things turned around and did this stuff. Um, and, that they, and they say, this, this is bad. You know, this is, and, and God warns um, the people of Israel through, uh, through Moses right now as a warning. You know, they're sitting on the side of, uh, of the Jordan. And um, uh, Moses, it, actually this, this week's parasha um, is... 
numbers 30. Let me just get to it because it's uh, it is interesting. While you're looking at it, Aaron, yeah, as you walk around Jerusalem even till today, even Christian religions, we still pick the high places. Yeah, we do. We put up our buildings, and we extend those buildings to be higher than everything else around us. Yeah. I can see three of them outside of my window. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, for me, I've got mosques. Uh, when I look out, i got mosques in Bethlehem that, that reach up high. I've got mosques in uh, Beit Papa. Everybody's trying to get their, their pinnacles as high as possible. Um, Actually, when you walk around the walls of Jerusalem, and you come to the northwest corner, there's yeah. a tiny little house mosque right there, which is on the highest ground in the old city. It's a very small mosque, but it, it carries this idea that if we're on the high ground, then we have a sense of authority over the whole city. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And, and yes, and Moses, uh, not Moses, Solomon had built this incredible structure. He had talked to the divine voice from heaven and yet he still decided to think that if I build an altar on a high mountain, it's going to be better. Uh, I mean, um, and where, did, where did God choose to put his house? On the smallest of mountains, which is, uh, again, just the beautiful character of God, right? In the heart. Aaron, didn't God say he, dis he disagreed entirely with high places? Yeah, he did what? He, he, he had a problem with high places. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, got to pull those things down. But at the end, God's mountain will become high. So right now, we don't like high places. But hinds feet on high places. Amen. Uh, okay, in, in today's parasha, or this week's parasha, uh, in Numbers 31, the Lord says to Moses, Take vengeance on the Midianites for the children of Israel. Afterwards, you will die and be gathered to your people. Okay. So just Moses is giving his last final speech. Today is the day that Moses is going to die. So Moses' Deuteronomy is his final, like, swan song. Prior to his last words... God gave him one task. Take vengeance on Midian, which is, um, anyone know the story of what Midian did? It's Bil'am, okay? So Bil'am the tricked, tricked uh, Israel into um, mingling with the daughters of Midian. And, <laughs> yep. And so, um, uh, and actually in, in this chapter it says, uh, verse 8, 31, verse 8, they killed the kings of Midian with the rest of them and, and uh, lists them, Evi, Rechem, Sur, Hur, Reba, the five kings of Midian, and Bil'am, the son of Beor. They also killed him with the sword, right? They, they got him as well, right? They cleaned him out. But isn't it interesting? The Lord says to Moses, take vengeance on Midian and then you're going to die. Now, if the Lord had said, Hey, Aaron, uh, you know, um, go to the shop, buy some milk, and then you'll die. Guess what Aaron's not going to do? 
you're not going to buy milk, right? Okay, it's, like, it's not that Moses goes, okay, so if I wipe out Midian, then I die. Got it. How about I um, start training some soldiers? And uh, we'll feed them well and we'll train them up and we'll, 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 you know, we'll make them to be like really buff guys. It's probably going to take at least 20 years to get this really hardcore group of people uh, to go in and kill Midian. And then, then we'll do a little civil. We'll do a little scouting operation. We'll just make sure we know where all the Midianites are so we don't actually leave anyone out. Um, you could have extended the process, but Moses doesn't do that. In, in a lot of the activities of Moses, when it's time for him to obey, he leaps to obedience, just like you find Abraham leaping to obey. You know, there's no delay, and, uh, which is not what you find in Joshua. Okay? God is constantly having to remind Joshua, be strong and of good courage. The Lord your God is with you, and he still sends in scouts. Right? He, 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 he has this the delay section, but, but not with Moses. So Moses has defeated the Midianites. We've taken vengeance on Bilam, and I'm now giving my last little testimony to, to share with people as they're going into the, into the land of Israel. And one of the things I really want to make sure that they don't do is start uh, following their gods because I've seen what happens when we follow after, after Midianite gods. I've seen the, the, the way that we get ensnared by um by falsehoods and it this 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 trap of the enemy is his best weapon and you can see it in the world today it doesn't matter who we are or what we've done the the weapon of the enemy is lies the weapon of the enemy is a sweet voice the weapon of the enemy is something that looks so good and so enticing and so beautiful and so fair you know that um you just have to do it and, uh, and, 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 you know, and the followers of the Lord can get ensnared by it. The church can get trapped by it. And instead of actually sharing the light, we're, we're, we get ensnared by, um, by PC uh, speak, by council culture, by you know, all, of that, all of that stuff. And it's detestable to the Lord. It's not something that's, um, it's not going to end up well for our team. And, uh, and, and Solomon, to be fair, he ain't the only one who did this. This was, this, this played, this was repetitious in the kings of Israel. Manasseh did it. Uh, Ahaz did it. Um, they all killed their children to the fire god. All right. Okay, so now one of the most famous verses in the Bible. There you go. See that you do all that, see that you do. All I command you, do not add to it or take away from it. All right. So uh, does anybody have a different translation to that? How does anybody else's versions read that last sentence? First off, I have it in uh, chapter 13. What's that? My chapter 12 ends with, they even burn up their sons and daughters fire for their gods yes that is correct um, because in the 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 Hebrew ends there the English actually adds one more 
whatsoever, whatsoever thing I command you, observe to do it. Thou shalt not add thereto, nor diminish from it. Yes, whatever I command you, yeah, don't add to it, nor take away from it. So, what do you think it means to add or take away? What does adding and subtracting mean? Where else in the Bible do we see this uh, show up? Revelation. Yeah, okay. So where in Revelation is it? Very good. Right at the end. Right at the end. Right at the end. So if I go to Revelation 22, that's the last chapter, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this scroll. If anyone adds anything to them, God will add to that person the plagues described in the scroll. And if anyone takes words away from this prophecy, then uh, God will take away from that person any share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which I described in the scroll. Yeah, I know, it's pretty darn strong, isn't it? <laughs> okay, so... There's a slight difference in the uh, expression there to add or take away, but it does carry with the same intention. Right? So in Deuteronomy... It's also in Deuteronomy 4 too. Correct. It's also in there. Do not add and do not take away. And so what does it mean not to add or subtract? Well, the Word of God is inspired by the Holy Spirit. <laughs> So, so you can't change it. You cannot change it, period. Okay, you can't change what? Any text, any part of the text. Okay, so, so you, that, that's the way you're describing it is the way it's described in Revelation, right? Which is, if um, I warn anyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this scroll, okay, if anyone adds anything to them, God will add to that person the plagues. So that's adding to the words. Okay, of the scroll. If anyone takes words away from this scroll, God will take away from that person the share of the tree of life. So there's a, there's a, there's adding and subtracting there seems to go along the line with adding or subtracting text. Okay. Um, however, let's get 100% honest here, okay, as the majority here are, are, are Protestants. What did Protestants do to the Bible once we had the Reformation? Redacted. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's debatable. But if they thought that other groups of Christians correctly added stuff and then they removed it, it shouldn't have been added. Yes, there you go. That's right. Yes. So we, we did have a little bit of semantics there to discover that we decided to, th to, ch to chuck some books out. Okay. But that's not what it means. What's the context that we've been discussing ever since verse 28? Idolatry. Okay, idolatry is there. O obedience, surely. Yes, well done, David. It says, be careful, guard and observe these commandments. And so the context is in keeping commandments. Do not add or subtract. Notice the way it's said. See that you do all that I command. It's, a, it's about doing 
and it's about obedience. Do not add or take away from what? It means don't add or take away a command. You can't pick and choose which rules you want to follow. You can't say, oh, I'll follow these ones, but I won't follow these ones. And so what does Paul say in, in Galatians or in his epistles? If you obey one law, what do you have to do? All of them. And obey all of them. Obey them all. Yeah, okay. Aaron, can I ask adding, this question? Adding and subtracting is yeah. not yeah. which books are in our Bible. What can and cannot? Because Moses has already added to the Torah. He's got the first four books and he's adding stuff that's not in the original. Okay, we've been discussing this as we've been, as we've been going along. As Moses is reflecting on parts of the Torah, he's adding stuff and he's deleting stuff. Right? He's deliberately not saying But that's not what he's saying. What he's doing is he's saying this is how you properly appro uh, approach these rules. And, and Moses is saying, don't add or subtract. Don't think you can get away with chasing after other gods. Don't think that you can worship the Lord and worship that God. Don't think that you can have a Shabbat and burn your child to, to the fire god Molech. Don't think that you can um, give a tithe to the Lord and or a wine offering to some little idol that you've got in, 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 your, in your house. Adding and subtracting is in, um, the, in, in the idea of, uh, of um, the commandments. And the commandments are a shield. They're a, a defense. They're your guardian. They're the thing that uh, protected you. So if you have a look at Proverbs 30... Aaron, the oral law does not not listen to or construed as uh, adding or subtracting. Ah, so they're not adding or subtracting. What they're doing is, um, uh, so if I tell my daughter, who's wearing skimpy clothing, you can't go out. Okay, that's not adding a law that's actually defending a law does that make sense yeah so so that's the 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 adding or subtracting is um is uh, uh but it does get difficult okay in, in example so in, in the issue of korban things that are dedicated to the temple yeah so people then promoted this and then ended up subtracting the law about honoring your father and your mother correct yeah Okay, so I've got a message there from Bernardo, but I'll work on that one a little bit later, buddy. Okay, so in, um, in Proverbs, Proverbs 30, okay, here we've got this Torah, here we've got this, uh, these commandments that we're supposed to guard and, uh, and observe and keep, and these will, be, be, it will go well with us. Okay, that's the, um, the in injunction from God. It says in the Proverbs, that every word of God is flawless. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words 
or he'll rebuke you and prove you to be a liar. Okay, so the word of the Lord, okay, again, that's where the idea that the word, the text is, you know, add or subtract to the text and you, and you guard it and keep it because it's also a shield. So Revelations is looking at very, something very similar that we see here in Proverbs. The idea that the Torah is a shield is reflected in, in Galatians 3, where Paul says, he's saying that before we had the Messiah, the Torah, the law, was your guardian. It was your shield. It was the thing that was protecting you from um, the evil inclination, the, uh, the desire that we all had to go away and do evil. But now that we have the Spirit of God, we've got something extra special. That doesn't mean that the Torah stops being Torah. That's, that's not what Paul is saying. But what Paul is saying is you've now got the Spirit of God. You didn't have that before. Now everybody got it. Not just the odd prophet or two or a king, but everybody gets it. And that's uh, going to be uh, the thing that is now the shield. But the shield is still to help you do what is right. So you're now back to the original uh, thing where God says, uh, do what is good and right in the eyes of the Lord. And you all know what that is. You know? um, and, uh, and so adding or subtracting is in relation to obedience to the Bible, um, to, the, to the Torah. It's not in relation to which books are in or which books are out. Um, and uh, I guess that's, that's something that I learned a lot when I was here uh, studying at Hebrew University and in my relationship uh, relationships with many of the other traditions that are here in this city, that um, Armenian friends have a different canon to us. Greek Orthodox have a different canon to us. Catholics have a different canon to us. The Egyptians read different books in their Bible. And they all love the Messiah. And they're all working for the kingdom of heaven. They're all doing their best to um, resist the evil one, to protect their people to honor the Lord their God. And they're all reading absolutely different Bibles. And so uh, the, the, the idea of um, adding and subtracting really isn't which books are in your Bible or, or which texts should we be reading. Are we reading Greek? Are we reading Hebrew? Are we reading Latin? Instead, go back to the intention, which was where, where Moses is constantly directing his people. He's about to die at the end of his day. So he really has got nothing to lose. Okay? Write these laws, every part of the commandment of the commandments of God, write them on your heart. Put them into practice there. That's where it needs to be uh, meditated on, reflected on, built upon, uh, and, uh, uh, and, 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 and it will become a shield. Your heart will become a shield. Okay? The Spirit of God you know, that, that will, um, will, will instill inside your heart a, a, uh, a desire not to offend the Lord. Um, and that is something that we all should hopefully, I guess, uh, strive for. Um, so um, the idea of adding and subtracting is follow or not follow the commandments of God. And they have hidden benefits because it is good for you and right in the eyes of the Lord. Many times that means we can't see it. We can't often see what is right in the eyes of the Lord. And um, so I'll just finish with um, a Jewish story, Jewish parable, okay? 
Everyone knows what a midrash is? Okay, a midrash is not a true story, but that tells the truth. And uh, the story is of a king. It's always got a king. Okay? King is God, but it's a king. And the king has an ambassador, which he is going to send as his personal representative to another kingdom. And he you know, briefs the ambassador about what he wants him to say and what he wants him to do and how he wants his relationship to be with this other kingdom. And he tells the ambassador, uh, I'm going to give you this shirt, beautiful shirt, and I want you to wear this shirt when you're uh, in, in the audience of the foreign king. And whatever you do, don't take this shirt off. Okay, just keep it on when you're when you're when you're there. Ambassador goes to the foreign kingdom and um, nice kingdom. Does his little audience, does all the things that he's supposed to do uh, with with the foreign king. And the foreign king says, you know, I really like your style. I really like the trade deals we've got right now. It's excellent. We're gonna have a good relationship. Um, I like your shirt. Really nice shirt. Um, I'll give you a million shekels for it. And the ambassador's like, oh my gosh, wow, you want a million shekels on my shirt? Yeah, love, love your shirt. Fantastic shirt. I'll sign any trade deal you want. Let's sign it right now. Here, sign it all done. We're all done. Excellent. Love that shirt. Million shekels. And so, what does the ambassador do? Takes his shirt off, gets his million shekels. They goes back to the king and says, King, I've signed all the agreements, we've done everything, our countries are at peace, it's all fantastic. And uh, and the, the king says, Hey, where's um where's that shirt I gave you? And the ambassador says, Well, you know, I know you told me I'll take it off, but the guy offered me a million shekels, a million shekels for my shirt. And the king says, Oh, that's a shame. Because I bet the other king 12 million shekels you keep it on. And so, right, so it's like, we don't know why we need oh, to. Good one. Yeah, we, we, God has a different view. And so keeping, don't adding or subtracting, but, but just honoring the words of the Lord will give, as it says, it will go well with you. It will give you a better blessing than the than the than the world could ever entice you to have, um, or any of its tricks or schemes. And uh, so, it's an interesting little little midrash on the truth of adding or subtracting, and uh, and just letting God be God because He sees things that are beyond us, and He knows if you do this, it'll go well with you. It'll go well with you. It'll go well with your kids. You might not even see how right now. It just will. And uh, uh, any comments on, um, on, on, that, on that portion of Deuteronomy? Uh, we, spent, we spent three weeks wrestling with this. It was a pretty good, uh, a good go at it. Great midrash. Yeah, they got, they got some good little, little stories sometimes about, about uh, how they get to the, the, the inyan, the, 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 the intention of the, of the Torah. And that's what it's about. We've got to write these laws on our hearts and, uh, and keep serving the Lord. The reward is coming, but there is a reward. All right. Okay. Well, guys, thanks for wrestling the scriptures with me. That was Thank you. Thank you. 
Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page, on SoundCloud, or by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. You can offer practical support by giving a donation at ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Thank you, and blessings from the City of the King.